before. It's the future. Comic books are not worth a damn thing. Plastic is not worth a damn thing. The only thing that matters is... Me, Dave. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Direct Edition. I'm your host, Dave. You know that guy from the West Coast Avengers who's also just putting his name in everything? I should have just called this podcast Direct Edition. Now, that just would have sounded stupid. Hello, everybody. And we're here for another episode of me just blabbering about something that's going to come to the tip of my tongue as I say it. Uh, it is Thursday, February 22nd. I took a little break from recording. This podcast is going to be whenever I feel like it. It probably won't be every week, but, you know, you can rest assured maybe every 10 days. Well, something like that. Had a uh, fantastic week this week in regards to uh, recording stuff. I conducted an interview, a chat with Jimmy Palmiotti for the YouTube channel. And by the time you hear this, that will already be up on the YouTube channel. I also guested on Last Pack Magic's YouTube podcast. And we talked about Marvel cards, specifically comic cuts. And uh, comic cuts, well, I'm, I'm pretty passionately against them, but I, you know, I don't have too much skin in the trading card game, although I do associate myself with a lot of people that do. So trading cards are fun. You know, maybe, maybe they're a little more important to people than they are to me, but they were part of my past and maybe that's what I'm going to talk about today. I guess I just decided the topic for the podcast today. Cue the music. When I was a young lad, no, when I was, when I was really young, I don't know when, because I was super young, but I definitely started collecting baseball cards at a very, very young age. My dad collected them as a kid into his adult years, and he had probably introduced that uh, to my brother because my brother was collecting cards. I think the first set of baseball cards I collected was 1986 Tops. And 1986 Tops, along with 1986 Tops Baseball, traded, the traded set, which would come at the end of the season or towards the end of the season, is pretty legendary. 85, you know, was the rookie year of McGuire and Dwight Gooden and Corey Snyder. But then 86 ushered in Barry Bonds and Will Clark and Jose Canseco. Although I think Canseco might have had an 85 tops traded card. Either way, 86 tops, 86 tops traded is a pretty legendary set. I can't remember if Bonilla, Bobby Bonilla, was 86 or 87, but you know, it's those years kind of blend together. And uh, Daryl Strawberry was a rookie in 83, but he became my favorite player like almost immediately as I was kind of cognizant of the players on the New York Mets because, you know, I grew up there. So, you know, baseball cards in the 80s, you know, they everybody's got something to talk about if you're of that era because, you know, that's the beginning of what would come to be known as the junk wax era. And the, the junk wax era coincides with the overprinting and mass production of sports cards in general. Now, we didn't call it the junk wax era back then because nobody knew, you know, how everything was going to kind of crash. And it, there's a, you could draw a parallel. 100% draw a parallel through comics and cards. Uh, the boom and bust was first in uh, sports cards and then it was in comics. But almost around the same time, you know, the early 90s. Yeah, my dad used to take us to card shows and, you know, get autographs and stuff. I, I was I was a brat as a kid. So I didn't go to, I didn't take advantage of a lot of the opportunities that my brother and my dad did. Because they went to some of the big shows. They went to that 500 home run show that was in Atlantic City and at that time 
I think every living player that hit 500 home runs was at that show and they had that poster. Um, and I, I think my brother still has his signed. I don't know. But I started collecting hockey cards would have been the, the early 90s. So probably after 90, uh, after the first year of Upper Deck, I think the second time, the second season that Upper Deck did hockey cards is when I jumped on board with hockey. But I think the defining moment of my baseball card collecting up until that point was when the 90 or 89 Upper Deck came out and Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card was in there. I think I bought one box or two boxes and ripped out like four or five Griffey Jr. rookie cards. And I remember I, I sold them. My dad asked me, sure, you want to sell those? And uh, I don't remember what I got 30 years ago almost. But no matter what I got paid for those rookie cards at that time, taking grading out of it, I probably still would have made the same amount, if not less money today because of the overproduction. But, you know, collecting cards built this huge knowledge base in my head of not just the cards and the card industry, but, you know, the sports knowledge that I had and the players and the pronunciation of names and knowing who was on what team and kind of helped me get into, you know, I can definitely draw a line from collecting cards and and then comics to where I am today and almost every part of my career because for, uh, let's see, 2008 through you know, early pandemic, I worked in the sports memorabilia industry actually before that because uh, I had a job at Steiner Sports. And Steiner Sports, uh, I worked there 2000 to 2001 or 2002. I definitely remember working there because 9-11 happened. I was working at their, their flagship store, Hall of Heroes at the Roosevelt Field Mall in Long Island. You know, my path has always gone that way. But yeah, I worked in the sports memorabilia and nonprofit silent auction business for over a decade. Getting into the the cards and then 1990, Impel comes out with the first Marvel Universe set. That changed the game when it came to trading cards in the non-sport realm. I was having this conversation with uh, with Graydon today, who's Last Pack Magic on YouTube. And I was saying that, you know, there used to be a time where you walk into a card store Sorry, there used to be a time where you could walk into a comic store and buy packs of non-sport, you know, Marvel cards, DC cards, image, whatever. But also at a baseball card store, sports card store, you could walk in and buy those packs. And then, you you know, a lot of those stores did both. You know, I, I Florida, I used to go down to Florida to visit my grandma, my nana, and uh, she lived in Boca. And at that time in the, you know, the early 90s, there was a card and comic store everywhere. You spit and you hit one. You drive down Hypoluxo or Lantana or wherever these, you know, these roads that military and jog and you, you'll hit a shopping center that had a, a card store or a card and comic store. They were literally a dime a dozen. We were so fortunate at that time. But the excess, the excess of the production of the cards and the comics is what led to there being no more of those stores or, you know, 50% of them closing between the years of 1992 and 1996. And also on Long Island, not each town, but pretty much like every other town had constant card shows and comic shows on a you know weekly or monthly basis. I used to go to the Tri-County Flea Market in Levittown every weekend, and I was like a groupie for card dealers. I would hang out with this dude, Jay, and that's where I met my friend Larry for the most part, or that's where we solidified our friendship. And I would just hang out there. I wouldn't even work for him sometimes. I would just sit there at the table be, being a pest, but spending money that I probably shouldn't have. 
But I spent a better part of 20 years buying and collecting cards from up until I think the last time I really bought any boxes or packs of anything, sports cards or, or non-sport cards, uh, would have been like around the year before Sidney Crosby was, you know, his rookie year. So whatever that was, early 2000s. I just had to stop. There was one day I realized I was like, I don't want to, because I was really just collecting hockey cards at that point because I was collecting autographs. So you buy cards, you get cards signed, used to trade players, their cards, like binders of their cards for game use sticks. And that's a story for another time. But um, so I was buying boxes after boxes and just having fun ripping them and selling. And I started doing eBay pretty early, 99, 2000 was probably when I started selling on eBay. And, you know, it was fun. But then I think one day I realized like this is, it's, it's another part of kind of that addictive personality I have. I realized that if I didn't stop, I was never going to stop. Like if I didn't actively make the choice to stop spending money on cards all the time, I was never going to stop. So I actively made the choice to do that. And, you know, I still collected things, I collected records, I collected autographs. And it's one of the reasons why I started collecting records. My dad at an early age, my early age, uh, when I was a kid, he was like, buy the record and I'll make you a tape. I'll tape the record and you can take the cassette and listen to it, you know, when you have your Walkman, but we can always listen to the record at home. Brilliant idea. Also dangerous. I now own probably about 850 records, if not more. But in that, I remember the first time that I was going to meet, I think it was, it was either Pearl Jam or it was, or it was Slash from Guns N' Roses. And I had GNR Lies on vinyl. I still have it, original press. And I... I went down to this uh, road recovery benefit for uh, that that Wayne Kramer was putting on in New York City, and I roll up, I walk up, and Slash Slash is standing outside smoking a cigarette, and I got my record signed by him, and it was like the coolest moment for me because it was this thing that I had had at that point for 15 years, and it was like, oh yeah, I collect records, and so I started buying them more, and you know, I tried to get at least one album from every band I met signed, and I have a lot. But yeah, I stopped collecting cards. And as I was talking to Graydon today, I think I realized like I was out of Marvel and, and comic cards probably by 95 because I don't ever remember owning any of the 96 masterpieces, uh, the Julie Bell and Boris Vallejo set, which is now like the most expensive vintage card set from the 90s. Um, but yeah, I, I must have been out by then. But as that, you know, like I said, I still could collected hockey and if you're a hockey fan like you remember or maybe you don't but i believe hockey was the first sport to do an all autograph set which was uh 93 or 92 be a player or, or something like that 94 and then i'm pretty sure they were the first ones to do the game worn jersey cards the game you stick cards the memorabilia cards and they may not have been the first to do sp authentic i don't know if sp authentic was the first hockey or was first in hockey but I feel like it was. It could have been basketball, though. But yeah, so I collected all of the gimmick cards, the dare to tear ones, the the packs that were in the metal cans, all this shit. It was so cringy to look back and think about like all of the ways that they took advantage of the collectors. And you know, like I said, parallels to the the comic book. Uh, space you know it was gimmick covers it was holograms it was die cut it was chromium it was issue zeros it, you know i mean it was fun in the moment it's fun to look back at you know knowing now what i didn't know then but it's also super advantageous and they weren't just taking they weren't taking advantage of adults they were taking advantage of kids 
the easiest people to take advantage of, except maybe, you know, when he comes to a corporate mindset, except maybe senior citizens. Maybe kids can go broke, but if they have, you know, a home life, then they're not going to like be homeless. Whereas senior citizens can't uh, go broke and then, you know, live with their parents. But I digress. So, yeah, the parallels of the comics and cards industry in that years of excess were were pretty atrocious. But I'm, I'm still here and I, you know, I learned from my mistakes. I don't really buy uh, excessively to keep. I buy for my business, but cards are still fun. I still enjoy them. I just can't get into them the way that these hardcore collectors do. And there's, you know, the, the sports card industry has turned into something else. The, the Marvel card industry. And it's funny that I mentioned the Marvel card industry, because if you look, you know, save for maybe one thing here or there, there is no other comic publisher with trading cards out. I'm using a generalization, but if we were, if there was any, it would be 95% Marvel and then 5% anything else. So it's just funny how everything evolved and comic cards just went away. They absolutely went away for years. Like when I say they went away, you're talking about like the way I mean it. If you are a card collector and you're like huffing and puffing at Dave, hold on, let me finish what I'm saying. Imagine a band, let's say for instance, Guns N' Roses. They went away for years and then they came back with Buckethead and they still, they weren't, you know, anywhere near where they were. And Chinese Democracy came out and people just threw that album in the trash. And that's basically what Marvel Cards is. Now they're making a comeback and they're not as big as Guns N' Roses is now because the, you know, reformation with Duff, Slash and Axel, they've been on a world tour for four years now. But it's like, yeah, they Marvel cards and comic cards were everywhere. You could you you'd sneeze in a stationary store and you'd hit Marvel cards. So it became a niche thing. Now it's funny with sports cards; they are still around, but the outlets to buy them dried up. You know, you could go to Toys R Us and buy any type of cards. They had boxes everywhere: retail packs, boxes, whatever. KB Toys, everything. The you know, for the East Coasters, you got Woolworth and Caldor uh, before we had Target out there. And Kmart was kind of out there, but not as much as the other parts of the country. Now, you know, and then there's stationary stores. Now, I don't, I, I like I said, I lived in New York for, for most of my life. You may not have had stationary stores in the way we did, but newsstands had them. Like, you could find sports cards and non-sport cards everywhere. Now, you have to go to, you know, whatever remaining card stores there are. And I'm talking about physical locations. The internet's a different story because everything's available via the internet. I literally could go on there right now, buy a pair of panties from Japan. Uh, I could buy a dog and 14 boxes of cards. Now, am I going to do that after this podcast? I'll leave that in your mind to answer. Now, physical locations. So you've got your last remaining card stores, and there have been more popping up in the last couple of years. You've got Target, you've got Walmart, you've got Walgreens, you've got uh, locally uh, Bartel Drugs does. That's it. Like there, you know, and the diminishing places, the places that have diminished are, you know, not just in part to, you know, the card market drying up for a number of years or just, it also has to do with small businesses just not existing the way they used to because of, you know, Target, Amazon, and Walmart, you know, and the, and the like. Big box retail, I guess you want to call it. And even big box retail is going away and changing. This world in the last, and I'm just, you know, obviously I'm not going to go branch out to other things, but just in the, the way that we do our retail shopping in the last 15 years, or maybe even the last 10 years, has changed 
so much more than the previous 30 years. <clears throat> so to be a collector of these things, it got forced into being niche compared to what it used to be. I still think that cards and I, I you know, cards and sports memorabilia and stuff like that isn't niche, but comparatively it is. And the way we purchased it definitely is. But now it's just, yeah, it shifted to online marketplace. And I can't speak to knowing too much about the sports cards industry, the sport card industry anymore, because I don't collect and I don't, you know, I, I'm not in that bubble. But, you know, whatnot and eBay and all these online marketplaces is, is how this stuff gets distributed. Or, you know, you've got in the Marvel card space, David Adams and I forget what the other one. There's a couple other, there's like three main companies or stores that distribute Marvel cards through Upper Deck. I mean, it's all a monopoly. You know, if you look deep into it, it's just like a monopoly that's, you know, like three different companies make all the cards and then that's it. And then there's X amount of distributors. Now, I may be talking out of my ass a little bit because I'm just kind of going off information that I've gleaned from others, but it's a pretty easy blueprint to see. I can tell you from experience that in the dealer world um, of cards in general has generally been very seedy people involved in it. You know, the Tri-County Flea Market uh, show that happened every weekend in Levittown, Long Island, you'd go upstairs and it was pretty much grandfathered in. Like nobody had, you would never see too many new dealers pop up. Once in a while, maybe every couple months, somebody would be done with it and then they'd bring in a new one. But you had the same guys in the same spots and the one guy who sold wax, uh, that, that only sold wax, we... I don't remember his name, but he called himself Dr. Donruss. And I think that was his nickname and he was older and he was like the nicest guy. He was not the scumbag. He was the like least scummy card person. I still remember, I can picture not only him, but I can picture his table and it was like two eight footers, like making like a giant island and it was like tiered. So like there were just boxes and then another tier and more boxes and more boxes. And uh, his prices were always good. He was always nice. Like if I wanted to buy a box of some new hockey product that came out and I had like, let's say it was 60 bucks new and I have 40 bucks, he'd be like, all right. He's like, give me 40, you can take the box and give me 20 next time you're here. And that was totally fine with me. And it always worked out. I never uh, cheated him of any money. I actually sold him some stuff a bunch of times because <laughs> back when uh, Pokemon first hit the cards and the and the game, but, but uh, the cards specifically, I was working at Electronics Boutique in the Walt Whitman Mall. Uh, rest in peace, Walt Whitman, even though he's dead long before I was born. But the Walt Women Mall, I worked at Electronics Boutique out of, uh, after my first year of college. And, you know, I was a stupid kid doing dumb shit. And I used to buy <laughs> all the Pokemon packs when they came in. I used my discount and then resell them. Once again, 18 years old at the time. I didn't give a shit. I still don't give a shit. But I understand that, you know, morally that's wrong, I guess. From a corporate standpoint, that's wrong. I don't care. First off, Electronics Boutique got bought out and they, you know, became GameStops and then GameStop is, you know, whatever it is today. But I don't feel bad for corporations. So, <laughs> not to go on a too much of a tangent, but I was thinking about this last night because me and Manu were having a conversation about corporations and stuff. I had to think about, I it popped into my head that when we did our first stream about the CGC scandal, I said something on the stream on my channel like, look, 
don't steal from people and small businesses. Steal from corporations. And somebody got mad that I said that. And and I'm just trying to think. I'm like, all right, maybe you're mad because stealing is, and I'm using air quotes, immoral. And then I'm like, I I, I did not comment back, but I'm like, are you a corporate stooge? Or do you not understand that corporations only exist because they're able to exploit every single person that either works for them or is their consumer? That is what they do. Capitalism is built on exploitation these days. But that's a story for another time. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Dr. Donruss, he uh, he bought a bunch of those uh, Pokemon packs. Never asked me where they came from. I didn't steal them. That was the thing. I don't care. I paid somebody for them. I just used all the loopholes that I could use. And I fucking did that all over Electronics Boutique. Fuck that store. <laughs> so anyway, cards. Yeah, card shows. But yeah, I was a card show rat. Um, and then I used to do a table at the Sons of Italy. And we talked about this on the uh, It Came From The Newsstand podcast that I did with Manu. You can listen to all 19 episodes right now on Spotify. I used to do a table because I was buying a lot and I was selling. And it was a lot of fun. I got a real good taste for it when I was a kid. Like I'm talking 15, 16 uh, maybe even 14 because it was so close to my house. My parents didn't care. I always wanted to do it. I think deep down inside, like, like I said, I started, uh, an eBay account in 99 and started selling very soon after selling autographs and all the stuff that I was getting the hockey autographs. And then I actually had my buddy make a website that no longer exists. It was called the blue line.net. And it was going to showcase all my game used hockey memorabilia. And then also the autographs, but I never, I was never disciplined enough to to really put my foot down and like start my own business. But here I am now, 44 years old in 2024 and uh, been doing this two and a half years now and it's going swimmingly. So that's all I needed was to do it because I knew I could. You know, I gave up the sports cards and the sports stuff and I pretty much at this point in my life, I'm not a sports person. I don't watch sports anymore. I don't follow, you know, every once in a while, I'll see how the Mets and the Islanders are doing. I don't give a fuck about the Jets only because it's an abusive relationship. I mean, not that the Mets and the Islanders weren't, but, uh, but yeah, I stuck with the comics obviously through and throughout and the comic cards, I just didn't because as they became less and less prominently displayed and easy to find to buy i just kind of you know just forgot about them um sports card, cards in general are fun i i don't really have anything against them i have a lot against the companies and some of the um some of the people that surround the hobby and then uh you know i just i find it a little bit toxic but i'm not really in that world too much but they're fun and you know if you enjoy them i will never take away from that i will never tell you that it's not enjoyable or you shouldn't. That's not for me to do. I will say in speaking in more recent terms, my friend John Wayshack did a bunch of cards for the new Marvel Midnight Suns set, which is dope. It's all original art and they got really creative artists to do images on these cards and it's fantastic. So uh, I don't know how much the boxes cost. I think they're like 200 bucks, but if you're able to get your hands on some cards, check them out because they're really cool. Yeah, I bought that original piece um, the vengeance original painting that he did for the set. Yeah. It's really nice to own some original card art, especially from a friend, but 
trading cards are just, they're fascinating. And obviously the history of them goes so far back to the early 1900s with the tobacco baseball cards. And, you know, my, my, my cousins, my brother, we all grew up collecting cards. And it's very interesting because like, I'm sure there's documentaries and great books that have been written about the art of the trading, like the baseball cards from the 60s and 70s, because those are like the design elements on them were just fantastic. The color schemes were just right on point. And then when you get into the 80s, pretty much like the designs start to get shittier, but it's really not until the mid 90s when the designs just went full 90s and really threw away their creativity. Uh, and, and for that, I want to tie it all together with, uh, something that I saw recently. There's some, and I don't understand the nuance of this whole EPAC thing. Uh, but there's this new Marvel retro set that came out. It's not physical cards. They're digital cards, but what they did, and most Marvel fans don't know this because they're just not, they weren't in both spaces, but what they used was all of the Fleer designs from the late eighties and the early nineties. And like, if you're a person that used to collect baseball cards, it's 1989 Fleer, which is most infamously known for the Billy Ripken error card that says fuckface on the, the handle of his bat. And this new Marvel retro series is using that design for a lot of the cards. And I just would love to see somebody have snuck in fuckface into one of those cards. But it would never happen because we live in a world where people are afraid to do funny stuff. But I understand. We're a corporation. Yeah, so it's fun seeing that, even though I'm not going to buy any of it. But if somebody wants to give some to me, I'm all for it. I'll take free shit. Right before I started recording, I just started thinking about trading cards. They're on the brain today, so I figured I'd talk about them. I'm trying to grow this podcast. I want to hear from some of the listeners, anything feedback-wise, positive or negative. What would you like to hear me talk about? What stories do you want me to tell? Look, I'm not here to try and tell you that what I'm saying is important. I'm here just sharing things from my life as a collector, from my life in general. And uh, if people connect with that, I'm okay with it. And, 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 and if they don't, that's fine too. I know this podcast isn't going to gain crazy traction, but... I think in due time, if I can line up some of the guests that are not comics people, that are interest, or interesting people that I would love to have conversations with, I think that maybe it will grow. So that, you know, that's just my hopes. I, I was thinking today about, I have to tell some of these stories about wrestling. And I was a, I don't, I don't like using the word groupie because when you think about what a groupie is, uh, it's usually synonymous with people that are trying to have sex with famous people. No, I was a fan. I, I like to, I don't mind fandom. I don't mind being called a fanboy. That doesn't offend me because I'm a fan. And uh, through the years of like 1998 through 2004 or five or so, I probably went to like 150 live wrestling events and I got to befriend a lot of the wrestlers. Um, I got to sit ringside at a lot of cool events and pay-per-views. And so I think there's a lot of stories I'm looking forward to revisiting for this podcast about that. And, you know, I talked about music, but there's, there's a lot of other cool stories that I would love to tell. And it's a little tough trying to figure out the way to kind of lift off, like find the runway and get off the ground telling some of these stories without feeling forced. You know, I'm happy if I get some suggestions, whether you want to 
leave the suggestion in the comments on YouTube because now Direct Edition has its own YouTube channel. Apple has verbal reviews you can leave, so you can also do that. Spotify has a section where you can just like ask a question, leave a comment, or you could just reach out to me on Instagram at West Coast Adventures. But please, if you are listening to this and something pops into your head like, Dave, you mentioned this, can you have a, an episode where you elaborate on it? Who I am as a person. I don't like to just be like, well, let me tell you about the time that I met this person. You know, I like to be prompted because I think the way that I'm self-conscious about myself is that I feel like I'm showboating and I don't like to be seen in that light. I don't like people to think that. And it, most people probably don't. But my my uh, self-consciousness and my, my anxiety tells me different. It's like, Dave, shut up. Like, nobody wants to hear you brag about this. You know, then I have to just tell myself, like, hey, you're a storyteller, so tell stories. You know, people value your opinion, so voice them without putting other people's opinions down. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people deal with this, but I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it. You know, I don't mind talking about my shortcomings because shortcomings are what make you human. You know, they're what keep you in grounded and check yourself. Uh, and I have no illusions to that. You know, that they're, my shortcomings and my, you know, my self-consciousness is literally on my back 24-7. But I power through it. I think I power through a lot of my life and everything. Uh, so that's just another thing to power through. In short, I just, I, I went on a little bit of a rant about that. But if you have something that you want me to talk about or, you know, you've heard me tip of the iceberg, tell a story, you know, let me know. Worst I can say is, I don't know what you're talking about, man. My name is not Frank Miller. Some people confuse me with Frank Miller. It's just strange. I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway, and with that, I would like to ask you to please review this podcast, whatever platform you're listening on, like it, throw the story, review, whatever, recommend it to a friend, engage with it, uh, subscribe to it, just anything that helps push it out. I'm very interested to see over the next, let's say, year, you know, the rest of this year, how many new people come to this podcast that don't know who I am? Because that's how you know you're reaching people. But that's that's all I really ask. Otherwise, y'all can just enjoy the rest of your day, enjoy the rest of your evening, move along to the next podcast, because this is the end of the episode for Direct Edition. And I'm your host, Frank Miller. Bye now.